You're listening to Are You Happy Business Podcast on Captivate. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Are You Happy Business Podcast. I'm with Carl Carlos Schmieder. He is an MFA in life sciences space. He has a podcast called the Grow Everything Podcast, and his company, Messaging Lab, helps bioscience companies grow and grow everything, not just their business, but also growing how it can change the world and, and help people at the same time. So thank you so much, Carl, for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's a pleasure. And just one quick minor correction, which helps with my story. It's uh, I've got an MS and an MFA, so a Master of Science in uh, Biochemistry and an MFA in Creative Writing. And so it's a little bit of an unusual combination, but that yeah. combo has really helped me out a lot in, in the business world. I started off wanting to be a novelist. And uh, while I was getting my MFA, worked at a consulting firm and kind of the the flash, the light bulb went off over my head. And I was like, uh, okay, well, these guys are consulting on community manners. I wonder if there's people who do this kind of consulting for the life sciences and mm. ended up kind of on a career track in, in the world of public relations. And I always say, I joke around, I say, I did my time in PR. Um, and, uh, and it was many years before our agency actually started offering public relations services. We do offer them, but it's part of a bigger suite in terms of, you know, how do you tell your story? So that's ultimately, ultimately for me, what it comes to down to is how do you tell a compelling story that someone is going to listen to? And the challenge with a lot of life sciences companies is you're talking uh, companies that are founded by very technical science founders and scientists by their very nature. I know because I was trained as one. um, They like to tell stories that are very, very detailed. You know, that's how that's the scientific method, you know, the way that they're taught it's like you got to tell all the details to get people to understand. Whereas like most people, yeah. consumers on the storytelling side, it's like, cut to the chase, dude. Tell me the story. I don't really care about the details. You know, if if you or I were having a conversation and you start to drag on too long and it's not technical, I would be like, okay, what's, you know, how did this end? Get me, get me there. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, what do you think is the most exciting trend in bioscience today? I was mentioning um, before we hopped on the interview that uh, I really love bioscience. I'm reading a bunch of books on it right now. Uh, I'm not a professional scientist in the training sense of the word, word, word but I'm definitely a hobbyist. Um, I love reading and learning about all things science. So what do you think is the number one trend right now in, in bioscience that, that's going to change the world? Uh, okay. So that question, there's so much to unpack. I mean, the number one trend I think is really hard to say because there's so many, so many good things happening simultaneously in the life sciences right now. And I, I, I'll, I'll start this off by just saying, as we're recording this podcast right now, everybody's focused on GPT-4. So it's the latest iteration of this AI tool, which is amazing. And um, I truly believe that AI will be transformative in many, many ways. But what people don't realize is that the life scientists have been quietly moving along in the background, making substantial changes. And one of the biggest changes, so you said the number one trend, one of the biggest changes is finding replacements for fossil fuels. Everything that we have come to love and have gotten 
used to, in in many cases, I say everything, that's not totally true, but many things are made of fossil fuels and they're derived from oil. And we know that that's not sustainable. Before the beginning of the 20th century, you know, there was a lot, I feel like there was a lot more things that were made with nature. And we're going to move into a place where we can replace fossil fuels and we're going to work with nature. There's there's people I've worked with with that say it's nature co-design we work with nature to make new products and the problem with plastics is a lot of the plastics are designed to last forever but you have plastics in consumables that just get used once so for example um you know i've got this plastic bottle i don't know if oh, you can't see it because of the screen <laughs> and you know it's a small plastic bottle filled with water water is a terrible thing to sh- ship anywhere we shouldn't be shipping water um and then you know we throw these bottles away and that plastic last for like 500 years. So being able to replace that anything that is made with oil with something that could be more sustainable, that could be biodegradable, that can be um, made from waste, waste, you know, using waste streams is a big thing. Uh, I think that that's one of the trends. And I, I would say there's there's two other big ones that I'm excited about. One is we're just getting better at engineering life in general. And there's a lot of ethical, uh, you know, things, ethical questions about engineering life. And we should be having these discussions about that. But the problem is most people don't even know that this is going on in the background. So, but we are getting very, very good at engineering life. And what does that mean? It means that you can take, a certain kind of cell, you can modify its DNA, and you know what you're going to get at the other end of it. In the past, doing that kind of work was very bespoke. It was artisanal. You really didn't, you weren't unable to predict whether or not that, uh, you know, whether the outcome was going to be what you expected it. We're not totally there yet. And we've got a long way to go. This is called the biotech century, by the way, because of all these technologies kind of converging and advancing exponentially. But uh, we're getting we're going to get there. We're going to get there in a really big way. And what's amazing is that one organism, which is yeast, and I always, when people don't know anything about the life sciences, I go, do you know how beer is made or how, you know, wine is made? And you, people basically get the idea. It's like, you've got some barley, you've got, you know, some sugar, you add some yeast, and all of a sudden you have beer, and you've taken a couple of things that don't really have a lot of value on their own, and you've created something valuable. You might not think beer is valuable, but we have a multi-billion dollar microbrewing industry that would argue against that. And that brewing industry is really what the future of the biotechnology industry looks like. It's small breweries. And those breweries, instead of brewing beer, could be brewing medicines, they could be making materials, they could be making fuels. There's a lot of things they can do. And so I think that that's another trend, distributed biological manufacturing that I'm very excited about, that we're just at the very beginning of. So engineering becoming much more, much more precise and better at engineering life is one and then distributed biological manufacturing is another one and if i've lost you at this point i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) no 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 it's been very interesting to hear you say all that and i think one of my big questions uh for people in biosciences there's two so i'm gonna ask you one that's more relevant to what you just said the other one which is not quite as relevant but i think is on a lot of people's minds one is uh we'll, we'll tackle this one first which is um, do you think there will ever come a point where you could basically write code that then manipulates, uh, organisms, uh, meaning that you could actually write a language that, you know, could, could compute organisms. Let's say you had a vacuum, 
Uh, and inside that vacuum, you had certain electrical charges that can almost like manipulate uh, from an organism to then grow into something larger and more complex and kind of like 3D printing, but with, with organisms. Um, do you think that will happen? And do you think it should happen just for certain things? Okay, so I think the way you described it in terms of a vacuum uh, and uh, you know having a cell and manipulating it that way, I'm not sure about that. We do already program cells. So just mm. to put that aside and we program them at a very large scale. And I think what I, what I wanted to answer, what, part of the answer that I wanted to give in the last, um, when I was talking about the life sciences and uh, the rise of, of this industry is that yeast alone, yeast, which is used for beer and bread is a $900 billion uh, industry on its own. Meaning yeah. all the bread, all the beer, all the medicines that are made in the United States basically can contribute to almost 3% of our GDP. It's mm -hmm. like a crazy thing to think about. And that is one organism. And when you talk about, you know, and, you know, can we engineer or can we write code? Well, DNA is a code. You know, DNA is a is a four letter chemical code that sits inside of every cell. What an amazing thing about our bodies is every cell, every microscopic cell in our body has nine feet of DNA in it. So three meters. It is an incredible store of information. And that DNA in each of those cells has all the instructions for the human body. And the human body is trillions and trillions and trillions of cells. So this is an incredibly complex technology. It is the most complex technology on the planet. And actually, this planet wouldn't exist without bi biology. Biology made our atmosphere, and it's what's around us, and we're biology. And now we're able to engineer that. So now, ask me your second question. I'm not sure if I answered the first one. <laughs> you did. You definitely did. Okay, second question is, do you think, and this is important for bioscience research in the economy in the future, because I think if this happens, it'll change how we do everything, which is, uh, do you think, when do you think, or if we will ever hit uh, an escape velocity with, with human aging, where uh, every additional year that goes by, we can find a way to increase the lifespan of a human on average by a year to where you basically uh, live forever at a certain point? Do you think yeah. that'll happen? And, you know, when do you think it will happen? Do you think? Uh, so I've heard that in 20, if we can live to 2029, you have yeah. a good chance of living, uh, you know, way longer than, you know, most people, which is like what, 80 or 90 or so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know where that number came from. Um, and, and this has profound uh implications being able to have people live longer because the way our society at least the united states is set up is you know you work 30 40 years you retire at 60 you have retirement and um you know most people are are you know the average age average lifespan is what 78 80 it's gone down over the last few years but um so what happens to the economy when uh, people are living to be 120 or 200 years old and you don't, you know, are you, I would imagine you'd want to work that whole time. I know if it was me, that's what I would want to do. You want to contribute, but what about the people who decide they want to retire when they're 60 and they end up living to be 160? How does society support people like that? Um, yeah. you know, I think that there's a lot, a lot to unpack there, but I've heard that there's something about the late 20s where some of the science will be coming together in a way that will help us with longevity in a big way. I love that. I love that. I think that's 
That's the, you know, I think it's, it's funny because in some ways the, the chase for the, the Holy Grail, or not the Holy Grail, but the, the, the eternal life in general uh, is seen as a little bit of a fool's errand, but uh, you could also make the argument that we do have technology that um, is, is fundamentally different than what we had a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, and people were, were, were chasing and trying to find uh, sources of eternal youth and, and fountains of youth and things like that. I think we're, we're using different technology to solve that problem now. You know? Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen, if you, if you follow Brian Johnson, uh, ex-founder of Braintree, he's had a couple of, oh, yeah. uh, uh, a couple of pieces on him lately. He's been in the news and his whole thing is reversing aging. Um, yes. you know, how, do, how do you, how does he reverse aging? And, um, you know, he's got a kind of a sick program and he's spending like two two or $3 million a year to stay healthy. Apparently he's brought down all of his age markers, but he's also made it public because he believes that what he's doing is something that other people can use. And I bet you anything that in three or four years, most of the things that he's spending, you know, millions of dollars on will just have, you know, will undergo Moore's law and will, and will be very yeah. inexpensive. I, I think one example is, um, you know, people, my, Myself included, uh, take metformin. Metformin is a diabetes yeah. drug that apparently is I very heard. popular with life with life extension people. I have like a triglyceride elevated triglycerides, and I know I can bring them up or down depending on what I eat and how I work out. And so right. I, my doctor has wanted to put me on a statin for many years, and I've always been able to control it. So I was like, well, why don't we try metformin and see if that makes any difference? I don't know yet because I haven't had my blood done since I started taking it. But um, <laughs> my wife was put on a statin. She was very upset about it because uh, her <laughs> cholesterol was high. And then when she went in to get her blood test, her cholesterol was normal. And she was just kind of like upset because she's like, it's not real. It's like these numbers aren't real. On the other yeah. hand, statins are among the most studied medicines in history and they're very right. safe. And it's been shown that they've added, you know, hundreds of, let's say, just say thousands of years of life to people. That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, I appreciate all these insights. And I think if anyone wants to follow your podcast or get in touch with you, maybe they're listening, they have a bioscience startup or they own a bioscience company or they're interested in getting involved or an agency who wants to get involved in your mission. Um, where can they go? How can they find out more information about you? All right. So our, our agency is uh, messaginglab.com and we work with mostly with life science companies that are looking to improve their storytelling. We have a really good time. Uh, we, I've got a great team of four really smart storytellers that, that work with me and, uh, and, uh, and and uh, and then we also do some work with um, non life science uh, companies that are interested in learning what in the world is going on in this incredible space. I wrote a book about it a couple of years ago called "What's Your Bio Strategy" uh, with a guy named John Cumbers, and we basically interviewed the people that were. Uh, at the at the forefront, the pioneers of synthetic biology. And one of the things I love to do is have these conversations like with you. I love doing interviews with people. And so that's turned into a podcast that we have that you can also find on Messaging Lab. But the podcast is called Grow Everything. And it's about this transformation that is happening in the world through biotechnology and our ability to ma manipulate life to grow basically anything. And, uh, you know, one thing I will, I will just kind of end on the biotech side is like, your life is already filled with biotechnology. You just don't realize it. If you eat yogurt, if you drink beer, you, there's some biotech behind those. If you eat cheese, 
The rennet that makes the cheese solid was bioengineered. If you wear a pair of jeans, the cotton was likely bioengineered to be drought resistant and to need less pesticides. I held up a water bottle. There's a ton of bioplastics that are out there. Uh, if you wash your clothes in cold water, probably the detergent has an enzyme that comes from the Arctic. And so this stuff is everywhere. And, and, and what we're starting to see that, you know, one of the things that I am very excited about is seeing more consumer products put their biotechnology up front and that i think is one of the you know the three trends that i would highlight when you ask me what i what i'm most excited about <laughs>